Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where one day we'll be real boys. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beej. Hi, guys. I'm awesome. <laughs> yeah, you are awesome. Today, we are talking about writing, actually. We're going to change it up a little bit. Video games will be our topic often, I'm sure. But today, we're talking about writing and actually indie authoring, too. Right. So, I wanted to just touch on my history as a writer first, because yours is so much more in-depth, if that's okay. That's fine. Go right ahead. (laughs) Okay. So, I, I mean, I did a lot of writing, like, academically in school, and I was always fine at it. It was no big deal for me. Um... But I didn't enjoy it. It was just kind of like it had to be done. I learned the style oh. and, you know, it it was fine. Like I, I did it. I was an OK writer. It, it was never an issue for me. Right. And I didn't actually start enjoying writing until after college when I was in my first job and I needed some kind of creative outlet that wasn't doing video production all day. So I made a blog, which is a green mushroom, which is still out there. So I've been writing that for six years now. Six years? Has it really been six years? I know. It's crazy. Since 2010. Holy cow. I know. It's. I'm surprised that I've been writing for that long. I I mean, I looked back at it right before this episode. I was like, how long has it been? Oh, six years. Wow. And I mean, it, it took a while to find my voice and to really break out of that academic way of writing because it's it was so ingrained and it it was hard but like i feel like i finally found my voice and i can speak casually when i'm writing and i like it you know and now my blog is an outlet i mean these days it's turned more into a kind of like impressions and reviews of the media that i'm taking in um i used to do more in-depth looks at a topic but with the advent of social media and discussions don't really take place in comment sections anymore. They take place more on you know Twitter or Facebook. Which is the part of the, about blogging that I liked going through. I liked the comment section and things like that. You and I have talked about that in the past where when that broke away from blogging, that a lot of what was wonderful about why, why we did it kind of moved into another direction. I feel the same way as you. On the academic style, going back and reading some of my first blogs, being an English teacher and an English major going through, the first couple of years that I did Professor Beach was, oh my God, they were they were just academic. It was like I was trying to write an academic research paper every week. It was bad stuff, and I was so proud of it, too. And that, I was trying to remember, is that the name of your first blog? Yeah, it was just ProfessorBeach.com. It was... Okay. It was something I wanted to write. I wanted to write academically because I was an English teacher, and that was something where I thought that my I should have everything all around this one identity of myself as a teacher because that was how I saw myself because it was so all encompassing at the time. And so it worked out. I mean, it's still what I use on Twitter, but yeah, it was just Professor Beach. Okay, yeah, I, I was trying to remember because it, you know, you're on Geek Fitness now, which is awesome. So yeah. you've had two blogs. I've had one, which is still going, but I mean, that's kind of the history of writing when I met you that you had been doing, but you have this whole other part. You're an English teacher. And if people don't already know, you're a self-published author with a couple right. different series. So do you want to just talk about like your history with writing? Well, 
I guess my, oh, my history with writing, I, I just go through. It's like, no, I, I hate it when authors do that. I was like, when I was a little boy, I used to <laughs> sit on my grandpa's knee and I used to train. I hate it when people do that. But in terms of blogging, it was like you said, my I did Professor Beige. I think it started in 2008, like Christmas of 2008. I decided that I wanted to blog uh, while I was in graduate school for pretty much the same reason that you did. I had these ideas that I wanted to get out there and I felt like I was being stopped stifled by academia that I was getting. I was writing all the stuff that I cared about, but I didn't get to actually say anything, if that makes any sense. I was, it was all just, uh, just research and, and I didn't get to actually have the conversations I wanted. And so to get out of the academic writing, I want, I went to blogging. I've always wanted to be a columnist. And so when I set up Professor Beach, I was like, this could be like a, an ideas blog where I talk about everything that I like and just this pop culture, but on an academic side to show that, you know, we can do academics and pop culture together. And it was fun. Is that where I met you? Because I was I trying so. to think. I was like, was it Twitter? Was it Professor Beach? Was it a blog, a, somebody else's blog where we became buddies? Like, I can't remember. My wife asked, and I really, I was like, I know Twitter. That, that, that is where we've interacted the most over the years, but I don't remember what blog it was. I think it started I know it was a blog. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was when um, I had started writing A Green Mushroom, and you were still writing on Professor Beige. And the blog, I mean, we could take a little detour here. The blog community used to be different and it's one of the reasons that we started this podcast was to have these discussions again because when i started writing early 2010 you were you said late 2008 so you've been writing for a little bit by then but there would be you know the blogosphere that term that used to go around you don't really use it (laughs) anymore but it really existed there for a couple years where i would write a post and i would have all of these other people that were writing about Things that were not exactly the same, but the same, you know, area of interest. But and close enough. Yeah, yeah. Close enough that we would actually leave in-depth comments on each other's blogs. Or it was very common to start to write a comment and then realize that you had an entire blog's post worth of content. And then uh-huh. in reply to somebody else's blog post, you would write an entire blog post and link back to them. And there would get this discussion going around topics in a community, just kind of organically on blogs. And it was awesome. I loved it, you know? And I was the same way. I love being able to talk to people. I had, I, and it was weird because I loved getting comments. It wasn't even the, at first it wasn't even the, the conversation. It was that, oh my God, people are reading my stuff and I, and, and they have something to say about it. I'm really doing something here. And then it became, I know these people. It was the same four or five dozen people time after time having these where we had a community that I knew that I, who was going to say what kind of comment and, like you said, I was like, oh, I'm just going to respond back on my own blog and link back so that someone will be able to see it. And we'll have a longer conversation this way. And it, that just you're right. It doesn't exist anymore. Well, it, I mean, it was really cool. And those people are still fantastic people. Almost everyone oh. that I talked to on blogs in that way, I now talk to on Twitter. So it's yeah. like I, I haven't lost those people, but we have lost that time and place and the way that we treated our blogs and responded to each other because of Twitter and because of not so much Facebook. Facebook is, you know, more personal stuff and people, you know, in real life, but really Twitter is kind of the place where bloggers interact. And most of these people I know are still writing their blogs. It's just, it's different now with social media, the way it is. And part of it is also the death of Google reader. 
that when that happened, oh. that was whenever I lost track of so many people, not even just their blogs. I lost track of those people because that was how I actually communicated with them. I didn't tweet with them. I didn't email with them. I didn't have their text. Me- I didn't have their phone number for text messages. I commented on their blogs. And then when Google Reader went out, I didn't remember what all I was subscribed to. So I ended up actually losing touch with people because I didn't, I was one of the stupid ones who didn't export my uh, my reader into something else. So I just oh, no. lost a lot of people. Yeah. No, oh, that's horrible. I feel so bad for you. I didn't realize. I, I exported mine and I moved over to Feedly, but I had forgotten all about the death of Google Reader. Like, that was a huge blow to the blogging community because everybody was using RSS feeds to keep up with each other. And yeah. right when Google Reader died, Twitter had been around and was big enough. It, it was just big enough that people said, you know, I can probably just get my f- news feed from Twitter. I probably don't need to recreate my RSS feed. So Google Reader died, and all of these people abandoned RSS feeds, and that community just went away. It was horrible. I hated yep. that. Oh, you're bringing me back to it. It was almost an overnight thing. It where, was, like you it said, was. it just as soon as Google Reader went out, it was like everybody just kind of jumped ship, and if they went to Facebook or Twitter or something like that, I end up using Flipboard these days instead of Feedly or Blogloving or anything like that. Uh, any of the other blog readers right now, Flipboard is by far my favorite place for an aggregator that puts stuff together because it's curated and I can add my own stuff back in. So yeah, and there there are options out there, but it's like we. We can never go back to that time in that place. Like it, no. it's never going to be the same as it was because Twitter is what it is today, and you know it's now six years later, and things are different. But you know, I still love my blog. I love it as just kind of an outlet for me to. I almost use it as a way to process the media that I'm taking in and like get a final thought out there so that I can get it out of my mind and move on to the next thing. And that's actually the way I see this. That was one of the things that you and I had talked about going into this. This podcast, I see the same way because we're writing out, you know, the plans for things that we're going to talk about. And so I'm constantly doing the same processing in my head that I would before a blog post. I'm just thinking, oh, this is how I'll have to say this when we're talking about this topic, that kind of thing, where I'm doing the same kinds of things that I did with blogging where it's the same writing process that creative process that goes along with it is just a completely different medium yeah it's interesting it's interesting to think about the prep the same way and you're right you know I, I do a lot of the things I do when I'm about to write a blog post but then our outlet here is different it's a conversation which is much cooler I think oh I was thinking about geek fitness that it's one of those things that keeps falling away from me that it is it's one of those things where geek fitness is a fantastic place for me to stay accountable in terms of exercise and fitness and and health and I had a few people I have people come and go you know I don't have nearly the community of bloggers and commenters there that I always had on Professor Beach but it was more of a personal accountability with it if I'm blogging about fitness I'm running more. There's a direct correlation for me on how that is, even over posting on social media. So the process of actually doing it made my real life better. So I feel like I need to get back to blogging on it more, even if no one else ever looks at it. Even if no one looked at it ever again, it would still make me realize how much I love what I'm doing, which is what the podcast is doing. Think about, oh, this is all the stuff that I love. This is what I like, where I'm getting to experience it that way too. So I love that. Yeah, I 
I totally agree. I would write my blog if no one was reading it just as a way to process, you know, all the media, all the games, all the books and movies and stuff. And yep. yeah, I, I love it for what it is. So okay. that's kind of like our blog, our writing history. But Bij is an English professor. He teaches writing and he's also a published author. So I really wanted to talk to you about the published author part because I would love to write a novel someday, but it's intimidating. You know, a, a short novel, like the minimum length for a novel is 40,000 words. Right. And I know that professional writers who are really good say, you know, set yourself a word goal. If you can do yeah. 2,000 words a day, that's like as good as the best professional writers. And mm-hmm. if you did 2,000 words a day for 20 days, you have a short novel, but it's scary. But you've done it. <laughs> you have novels. So yes. talk about your novels. Tell tell everybody a little bit of context. Okay, so I'm the I am a stereotype when it comes to a writer, and I'm not I am not denigrating anyone when it comes to that. But I always wanted to write a novel, just like you. I wanted to to be the guy who had all of these ideas in my head, and I would just bounce from one idea to the next to the next. And reading, I started reading everything about it, and the Kindle came out, and they finally let you self publish and do this stuff. And I started reading about the publishing industry. I don't care what anyone tells you. Having an English degree, being an English teacher, and teaching composition is absolutely no preparation for writing a novel. They are so (laughs) completely different. My wife is the most brilliant person I know. She is, I don't know why in the world she would be with a schmuck like me. And she was looking at planning out a novel last year, and we were talking about it. And I've gotten to the point now where I've done this, but she's intimidated by it to the point where she doesn't even know where to start, where I have documents and stuff and the history. I was like, I'll sit down and I'll knock out an outline in a week and then sit and write the book in 30 to 60 days. And she's like, but I don't know why my main character will do this. And why would they be in this position? And I'm like, don't think about that right now. You don't, don't, that's, that's not what your concern is, but it's so intimidating because it's so big that when I first started this, I had absolutely no clue what I was doing. And the best advice that I ever read was put your butt in a chair. That if you sit down and you put your butt in a chair and you just do something every day, whether you're writing, you're reading, you're researching, eventually it will turn into something. And that got my first book written. That got Birthright written. And it was terrible. Like, it was really bad. Did, I, I know you read the uh, the first... I know you read it, but did were you one of the beta readers or I did I send you a copy earlier than the beta draft? No, I got the beta draft it might have been an earlier beta draft but i definitely was one of the first beta readers of that book okay then if i sent it out to readers at that point you got the and it was rough i mean don't get me wrong i understand it was exactly still rough. how rough when that, i saw that, it, it was still rough yeah it was still rough the first draft that i actually went on i i, I wrote this book and i went on to lulu.com because my parents and and have wanted a paperback copy of it to read so instead of just printing it out i went and did these very tiny like mass market sized uh, on white paper and times new roman paperback books just to give to my mom and my dad and i kept one for me and jennifer and that was the worst it was absolutely <laughs> the worst like going back and reading it is so unbelievably painful was because i had no idea I had no idea what I was doing. I was dropping uh, swear words left and right, but it felt like I was reading the beginning of Harry Potter. And 
I didn't know anything about it, but until I had it on paper and I had it finished, I didn't know that I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it was sitting down in my chair long enough to actually have a finished work that I could then go back and look and say, oh, he doesn't need to say that here. Oh, this is entirely too vulgar for someone being 14 years old in a school. They don't. That's not how 14 year olds act. And so your book, just so people know, is about. Right. I mean, do you want to pitch it here? I mean, it's kind of a mix of sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, the the original idea that I had was I wanted to have uh, this science fiction world that basically told a fantasy story. So I took all of the ideas that I liked about books and reading them myself and just kind of did this hero's journey where the hero wasn't necessarily anything special at first. And well, necessarily anything special all, all along. He's not necessarily any better than the other people he's with at least at first. So uh, with the first draft, what was, right. I mean, I, I guess you kind of said your process was get your butt in a chair and write it, you know, just get it done right. so you can come back and revise it. But did you outline it first? Did you have a whole no. arc in your head or did you, were you a, what they call a pantser? You just write by the seat I, of your pants until it's done. Like, how did it go? With Birthright, I was a pantser. I okay. sat down, I read exactly what you said, actually, the 2,000 words a day. And I decided that was going to be my goal. If I could get 2,000 words a day, then that was no matter what, I did not let myself not have that 2,000. So I sat and I did that. And I didn't plan anything else out. I tried to outline. I can still have like basic synopses that I found in notebooks right now, but they're they're very loose. They're very rough. They don't sure. actually tell you anything. And so, no, I just wrote from day what was going on from one day to the next. I didn't necessarily know how long chapters were or should be. I didn't think about where characters would be going next. I just wrote. How long did it take you to write that way? Um Overall, I think I've looked at Birthright being 48 days writing Okay. when I got it. Sitting down and counting up, because I didn't count weekends, because I actually wasn't writing on the weekends. Uh, I'm, because I'm a teacher, I have summers off, so I was able to take May, June, and July and write during the day uh, during the summer. So I drafted it over the course of one summer, and I think it took me 45 days, 48 awesome. days, I think, to be able to get uh, looking at the 2,000 words a day. That's so and, cool. Uh, but it was bad. But I'm glad that I did it that way. I'm really glad that I did it to have such a bad book at the very beginning when I just had this first draft of the first novel you ever read to be that terrible, just that downright awful, just just really (laughs) terrible to read. Just So many things about it were bad. And that when I was able to look at it again, I learned what I did wrong from that one. And the last book that I released, Legacy, the, the end of the trilogy, is what I wish I could start with now. Like it is, I'm really proud of this book because I learned how to outline after Birthright because of how hard it was to be a pantser. I learned how to put everything down on paper. I learned how to at least look at the three act structure to be able to figure out, oh, this is where I need something wrong to have something bad to happen to my characters. Where in Birthright, it's very uneven and in terms of pacing because I had to go back in during revision and basically put in those milestones because I was just a pantser straight through. So is it like so many skills out there, something that you just have to sit down and do to get better at it? Yes. Just like blogging, just like anything else. If you don't sit and do it, you cannot do it. Um, What did you do after you had one bad, rough copy of your book? What, What was the next part of the process? Like, For the listeners, what are the next things you did before you self-published and you put it out there for everyone to have? Well, I do... 
about five drafts of every book that I do. Um, I do the first draft and then I go back through it and I, it's not a copy edit or anything. I just read the book and make mar- as a reader and mark what is either terrible or awesome about it and try not to fix anything at that point, but I just read it. Then I go through myself and do those edits, add things, cut things, and do a, a really, really in-depth self-edit, which takes about three weeks maybe to go through that particular edit. Then I send that one out to you. That's the one that I send to you guys as beta readers. Okay. I'll send that out and hopefully get comments from people who are actual. And a beta reader, for those of you who don't know, is basically your target audience. If you're writing a science fiction novel, send it to people who would be reading sci-fi novels. If you're writing a romance... Yeah, send it to you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, Void, send, uh, look at this and tell me if this is the kind of book that you would buy on your Kindle or if this would pick this, you would pick this up in, in Barnes and Noble. And if you're like, this is the worst thing ever, Beach, I'm like, okay, can you tell me why? What's so bad about it? That's what a beta reader does. Because if I send it to a romance fan, they're going to be like, there's not nearly enough love in this. I'm like, but there's more killing? <laughs> Where you need, you want your beta readers to be someone who will actually know what they're reading. And part of it was you asked for specific feedback, which I thought was really cool too. You know, if if there was a chapter or a section that didn't work, you actually wanted us to say like what exactly in here doesn't feel right. Or I remember even highlighting like you know this exact piece of dialogue does not work. Like it just doesn't yes. work for me. And it's so subjective, right? Cause I could say that about a part of your book where somebody else would be fine with it. But I think that kind of thing helped you. I remember in, I think it was legacy. I think it was the last book okay. where you had a scene with a mother and like they had like a four or three year old yes. child. And my daughter was the same age at the time. And I wrote you some gigantic multi-paragraph thing about how it doesn't work at all because as yes. a parent none of this would actually happen yep and me as not being a parent i'm falling back on every cliche and trope that i know to write you and think this is how people react in in a bad situation with their kids you're like no nah, dude no nah, that no nah. and it was like you said it was paragraphs of why this is wrong and i hope i got it better i hope that actually going through that it's better because I still I have no real life experience what that feels like and how so I hope you have no react no real life experience on that situation either we yeah. did have a much more in-depth conversation about that if you do but because uh, it was a bad situation folks and uh, but yeah that that kind of thing really helps because I don't have that experience to actually make it good that's how you make authentic authentic fiction honestly is right what you know, yeah. Yeah, and I, re- yeah. I remember, you know, a lot of it was more highlighting something, telling you this doesn't feel right, and if I could, telling you why I think it didn't feel right. It wasn't, I, I barely ever tried to give you a solution. Every once in a while, there was something that felt yeah. obvious to me, like, hey, change these two words, or like rearrange the sentence, like something easy. But most yeah. of the time you were looking for beta reader feedback. Just tell me what you feel and just kind of like where you're feeling that. Yeah. And for me, those are the most important. And and other authors are different. Other people who write need completely different kinds of feedback, depending on what they're looking for. Because I I really like bad stuff. I mean, the, I, I guess the way my everybody's always looked at my favorite movies and my favorite books. And it's like, I don't like lit. I'm an English teacher and I don't like literary classics. If you give me Shakespeare 
or Jane Austen or any or the Bronte sisters, I'm like, uh, it's fine, I guess. And then you give me the Fast and the Furious, and I'm like, oh yeah, let's do this. I'm watching some fast cars, and no one understands why I like such trashy stuff. And so I, when I write, I write pulpy, fun sci-fi stuff, and I need somebody who reads it who has probably better taste than I do to tone me back and be like, nope, nope, you went too far into the bad category on this one. It was fun. This is just terrible. And yep. that's that's why i need you yeah and it's you know i love the pulpy sci-fi so it, it worked out we were a good partnership i know yeah. we had a bunch of other beta readers but it was really fun being beta reader so i also wanted to ask you about you have another series too you have yes. so you have birthright lineage and legacy those are your novels that you wrote by yourself but yes. you have nimbus which you wrote with a partner and it's an episodic series which is it's four parts correct yeah it the it was four parts and then now it's just one standalone novel we have the full book published as an omnibus out so what was it like writing with a partner how does that even work it's uh, this one is one where we did it where we took uh, a convergence narrative where we wanted to write uh, characters that were coming together at the end of the story. They started separately and came together at the end. And what that we did with that was we each took a perspective, a POV character, and we just wrote basically our half of the story. And we divided the book into the four parts and we divided each of the parts into 20 chapters and we each got 10 chapters. Then we sat down and we outlined in basic, you know, two or three sentence things uh, where it was what's going to happen in this chapter. So I would know what was going on in his chapter before mine, and then he would be able to go back and forth. So we had a 20 chapter outline that we would then go, we would write one chapter, we would bring it back together, and we would edit them. We would read through them and mark them up like, uh, honestly, like writing partners is the only way to say it. We marked them, made comments. He he coined, no dude, it's bad. And that let me know when it got really terrible or just boo, writing it in the margins. And we just ripped each other's stuff apart that way. Then we would do that every week. We'd have a chapter a week. And we then, when the entire book was finished, when the entire part was finished, we would do a read-through page by page, sitting beside each other, line by line of that book. And you want to talk about going crazy. Reading a book line by line, directly beside at trying to keep the same pace as another human being for an entire novel will make you want to lose your mind. I bet. So are were you basically each other's beta readers? Because I don't remember you ever sending this one out to the beta reading group. Yeah, we ended up basically doing this one ourselves. It okay. was an experiment on that as well, where we didn't know what how to do it. We didn't know how to do a whole lot with the writing partner. So we just took it on ourselves and we just did it because we had our eyes on it at so many different levels. This one was planned out way more. And we've gotten a lot of good feedback about it. So I don't think it was bad. I don't think everybody could work. He was an English major and uh, is now an English teacher as well. So our professional training helps a bit with that. Where not everybody has the luxury of being an English teacher to be able to edit your uh, writing partner's stuff at the professional level. Yeah. So out of curiosity, like I I liked the serial release schedule for Nimbus. Um, I thought it was really cool. And I've read some other authors who have done that too. Like John Scalzi had a lot of success with it lately in a couple of his books that he released, you know, 
chapter, not chapter by chapter, but story by story as a serial. And then in the end, you bring it all together into a novel, which is exactly what you did. As far as like publishing it and how successful they've been, how did that go? I mean, because you have all the stats in in Amazon or Kindle, I'm assuming, like did the serial format work for you or did it not really come together until they were all done? What ended up happening? It worked way better after they were all done. It may have been better if we'd had a bigger platform, if we had had a bigger audience going in. We we still sell the parts. We have all of them out there, and part one is free. And we still sell individual parts, even though the Omnibus is cheaper. They don't make a lot. I mean, they've never sold nearly as well as the one full complete novel did. We Once we got part four out there, that was when all of them started. People just don't seem to want to read stuff that is not finished. And that with an unknown quantity like an indie author, we don't know. They don't know if it's ever going to be finished, so they don't want to spend their money on it. Oh, I can see that. Well, and it it used to be a format that was much more well known. You know, yeah. like it it was not unheard of. I don't even remember the timeline, but I know there was a time where people released episodic stories, and so many people read them. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. time that people would write short stories, and people would still read them. I know short stories are kind of like a dying media right now um sadly yeah they're hard it's because they're hard to write and good short stories are really hard to come by and people don't want to read them nearly as much there's still some fantastic short story writers out there though okay so the other thing with you being an author self-publishing what what's the editing process like i mean you talked about how you know you do your own drafts you do your self-editing you get your beta readers to help you with suggestions and sometimes edits um when you had a partner you bounce things off them and you did all your editing together what about like did you hire a professional editor did you get an outside editor to do an entire pass through your book either time or yes. with any of them what happened with that okay there are two things on this one where it's really fun i did when i did the kickstarter for birthright and all of you guys were fantastic enough to help me pay for uh cover art the editor and all of this stuff i went out and i found an author or an editor a freelance editor that that specialized in indie authors that fit within our budget and so i sent the book off to them. I talked with them about it and it was the worst. They were terrible. The comments they gave me, it's apparently they didn't understand science fiction. I don't know what was going on. I made a bad call, but I spent um, a good considerable amount of money on a very, very, very bad edit. And I then had my wife look at it, which sounds like the worst cliche in the world. It's like, oh, you guys, my mom read my book and it's so awesome. Uh, and But my wife, like I said, is, is the most brilliant woman I know. And that's what she does on the side. Her side business is freelance editing indie novels. That's convenient so, for you. Yeah, I know. Not everybody lucks into the situation that I lucked into here. No, not so, so much. Because she can do that, she did another pass on Birthright, caught all of the stuff that the other editor that I paid to do it didn't, and so she actually did Lineage and Legacy and uh, is actually doing that right now. Uh, She's under contract with somebody who got a not-so-great edit on their first book and is now going through that author's entire series, uh, re-editing them. So you had two outside editors, basically, one that didn't work out, and then your wife ended up being a good one that worked for you. You. Did yeah. you do anything like that for Nimbus or was Nimbus purely you and your writing partner? Nimbus was actually just me and Austin. We were the only ones who uh, who did it. It I 
one day we might end up getting it to somebody if we wanted to do more with it. But yeah, it was actually just us. And I don't recommend that for a lot of people. I don't know if I recommend it for us doing it, but we we wanted to make sure that we did it and we just did it. It was kind of an experiment all the way around. Oh, you did it. That's cool. And then what's the, okay, another question I'm really curious about because I'm, I have the techie mind, right? Yes. What, what about the book formats? Like what about the formatting for all of these digital books now? I know there's Mobi, there's EPUB, there's, yep. I don't even know all the other, you can just make a PDF. Like yeah. how did that go? Did you format them all yourselves? Did you pay someone? How hard was it? I did it all myself. Uh, that was one where I did it all because I'm techie like you and I understand Microsoft Word that I can actually make it do what I want it to to do that I understand the concept of page breaks and how to do font changes that was really really helpful to be able to do that because I didn't have to pay somebody because I could go through line by line on the book and know what it's going to look like when I upload it because was all it I easy? do on Kindle is just upload a, do- a word document is I go through and just make sure that uh, that it is it the XML is what I want it to be and just upload all of it just upload it straight up to Amazon So it wasn't too difficult to do on your own? No, not actually at all. If you have a clean manuscript where you don't use tabs everywhere. Now, I don't use images in mine or anything like that, but without a whole lot of extra embedding and like super fancy formatting, no, it's super easy. It probably takes me three, four hours to go through the every line of the book, really, just to make sure that all of the punctuation is correct, all of the, you know, all of the pages are where they need to be, bookmarks line up, that kind of thing. But I know what I'm doing. It's kind of like you in this audio where I look at it. It's like, oh, this is terrifying. I don't know what any of this is. And you're like, oh, I'll do this. Click, 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 click. And it's fixed. That's kind of how I am with the formatting in Word. Oh, that's cool. No, I. that's that's nice to hear. It makes me feel like if I ever do the indie author of a novel, I could do it myself. It doesn't sound as intimidating as I thought it would. Okay, last thing in our main topic here. You took at least Birthright and turned it into an audiobook. I don't know if you've done the other ones yes. yet. I'm working on them. They're getting worked on. I'm not working on them. I clicked a couple of buttons. He's working on them. So is that purely an outsourcing thing? Did you just get somebody and hand them your script or not your script, your novel? Or was it more than that? It's it's really cool. Amazon does the Kindle publishing where for ebooks and everything like that, where it's they call it KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, I believe, and, or Kindle Digital Publishing. I can never remember. It's KDP. I type in KDP.Amazon and go there. That's all I can remember. And for audiobooks, Amazon actually has an audiobook marketplace since they bought Audible. It's called ACX. So you go on there as a rights holder for the book, so because you hold the copyright to your own book, and you basically put it up for audition. You say, hey guys, I've got a science fiction novel that I need a narrator for. Here's a sample of it. You want to send me some auditions? You can. And I had somebody do that. I went out and contacted a couple of them and heard theirs. And then this guy, CB, uh, came up, CB Drogi, and had just sent me a message and read it. And I'm like, this, these are these characters. I was like, this is a real book. This is, it's not just my book. This is a real book. Somebody else is reading this book. And it sounded just perfect to me that it was exactly what I had in mind. And so we worked out a royalty share deal, which is the main thing that uh, ACX does, where anytime an audiobook sells on iTunes or Audible or anything like that, we basically just split the profits. I didn't have to pay up front or anything like that. Uh, I could have paid him up front a fee and kept all the money myself, but it was a no cost to either of us outside of time. And he's working on the second book as I'm 
saying this, well, maybe not literally this second, but he is uploading parts to it, uh, to book two right now, and uh, book three should start after that. So the whole trilogy will be in audio, hopefully, by uh, end of summer, maybe? Dude, that's awesome. I got I to yeah, go back super and listen to it as an audiobook now. Now that I know the process and what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, we we will do a podcast on audiobooks, I'm sure, because we both listen to all sorts of podcasts and audio and lots of stuff. Yep. But it must be cool just hearing your work performed that way. It is unbelievably surreal. You have... I cannot express just how much, how weird it was. I remember because I was in the public library. I was at a program that my wife had put together and the email came through with the audition and I stepped out into the lobby, put in a set of uh, earphones and just listened to this 15 minutes of my book being read. And uh, I mean, again, to fall back on a cliche, I actually got chills. I literally had goosebumps from listening to this guy read my book. Uh, A stranger say, hey, I want to read your book for you. And that's the way I felt listening to the entire thing as well. Just listening to it straight through, it it was just unbelievable. The second one is the same way. Listening to this as he's going through and uploading it, doing the 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 QA is astonishing. It's just surreal. I can't. It's it's awesome. That's amazing. That's so cool. Okay, I think that's going to wrap up our main topic of writing today. Um, if you'd like to hear more, definitely let us know with your own writing and email or whatever. But for now, we're going to move on to Weekly Geekery. This week, I'm bringing Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, which is a game that's on PC. I think it's coming to consoles if it's not there already. And it's basically a game where it's two players at least. You can do more than that. One person has a manual for a bomb, and the other person is sitting in a room with no information looking at the bomb. And you have to communicate via voice and figure out how to disarm the bomb before it explodes. That's it. And it's amazing. It's it's a really good game for communication. My brother and I played it when we were at PAX last year, and we said that when it came out, we had to get it. We had to play it together in more than just one bomb in one sitting. So we finally got to do that this week. We jumped on headset. It's a really fun game. If you have somebody that you want to play a good communication game with, pick up keep talking and nobody explodes. That sounds fantastic. I've never even heard of that. I'm so excited. My weekly geekery uh, is actually going to be Marvel Battlegrounds, the new expansion for uh, Disney Infinity that came out this week. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I mentioned Disney Infinity uh, last week a little bit and Marvel Battlegrounds. It takes all of last year's toys and makes them new again. And it's Smash Brothers. It is Smash Brothers for Disney Infinity where I get to take the Hulk and beat up Spider-Man. I get to uh, go sit, stand in an arena and have Iron Man be able to fight Venom. And it's just this free-for-all kind of, of Smash Brothers, uh, just just fighting. And it's awesome. I, before work this morning, that's what I was doing, was just playing this with all of my Marvel characters. And with all of this, with Civil War coming out, I can't recommend it enough because I'm a, almost obsessive with Disney Infinity right now and being able to have a, just a multiplayer Marvel battleground like like this where I can just actually have those fights that we had the the arguments that we have when you're kids like who would win in a fight you get to have that and it's awesome and it's just it's Smash Brothers with superheroes I can't recommend it enough the Captain America figure with it's really cool <laughs> my son would love that he loves Captain America okay our health hack for the week I actually have one finally spring in Minnesota I'm out running again and the thing that Bees reminded me of is that you need to take your rest days between your run days which I'm really bad at because I like having a run streak. I like running every day when possible. But 
you're supposed to take a break in between each one and do a rest day. Why is that important, Beige? Because basically you're tiring yourself out. Your body is working overtime at that point, and it, the recovery is every bit as important as resting is every bit as important as the actual exercise because you're breaking down your body little by little as you exercise and if you don't give it any time to heal back up you're just you're just destroying yourself without and not being able to actually build up any of the muscle or or endurance you're just keeping on and on and on and on take them i'm glad to know that it's actually working out really well for you though that should do it for the podcast this week you can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback at geek to geekcast at gmail.com we've been void and beige with the geek to geek podcast and here's where you guys can find us um i'm at agreenmushroom.com i blog almost daily usually five days a week and you can find me on twitter at grn mushroom that's green mushroom without the e's i'm very active on twitter i'm there a lot where can they find you beige and i'm on twitter as at professor beige i spend most of my time there i'm on instagram as at geek fitness underscore and i'm doing everything that i can to learn how to uh instagram better at at geek to geek cast see me and void there and we'll try to uh interact with you and post videos and cool pictures of geeky stuff Thanks for all the feedback and comments so far. You guys are awesome for sending that our way. One of the best things you can do for us right now as we're getting started up is to leave ratings and reviews in your podcast app of choice. And most especially if you are on iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating there. That's going to help other people find us. I promise I'm going to stop begging for that after a couple episodes here. I'll lay off for a while. But when we're getting started, the best thing you can do, just take a minute. It takes one, maybe two minutes to just leave us a rating, leave us a review on iTunes. You guys are amazing. And that'll just about wrap it up. The only other thing was I love all the comments and feedback we got from you guys last week. We're going to take it to heart and implement some of it soon. Um, one of the things that I did get from a bunch of people that we should probably take into consideration is that they said our ending was a little bit abrupt. 